Hello, I'm Chris Biddle, and thank you for joining me for episode 71 of Inside AgriTurf. deciding on a name for this podcast a couple of years ago, I had to come up with something that reflected an industry ranging from huge tractors and combines used in food production through turf for sporting venues to the mowers and tools used in the garden. It was a very broad church indeed. But today's episode straddles all of these. It's an agricultural crop that is harvested and sold into sports facilities, landscape and to homeowners. I'm referring, of course, to the growing of turf, the real stuff, that tactile and environmentally beneficial product that carpets so much of our land. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Stephen Edwards, who, along with his twin brother, Alex, runs InTurf, one of the UK's biggest and longest established turf growers. So, Stephen, many thanks for joining me. Reflecting on the origins of turf growing in the UK, did it actually emerge from farmers seeking an alternative commercial crop? No, at at the moment, no. But there was a time that maybe they did. And I think that time was probably in the early 1990s, uh, probably around 92 or just after when the what we now call the European Union was sort of reformed and quotas came into the frame. uh, And I think farmers were looking at different ways to diversify. And I mean, when you think about it, 30 odd years ago, there was only a handful of turf growers, um, mainly small localised farms and mostly growing sheep grazed meadow turf. And there was probably only two or three professional cultivated turf growers then. What happened was, I think, they, the, the, these landowners and farmers started talking to specialist companies like ourselves, uh, which, like I've said, the, there was only a couple of at the time. They decided, after conversations with maybe, maybe even carrot growers and, and leek growers as well, you see, who were specialised in their own field, pardon the pun, at the time, uh, I think they decided, particularly where turf growing was concerned, that that they could make more money from renting the land than actually investing in the equipment and mechanisation and farm labour. Because if you think at the time, bigger tractors were coming in and uh, less labour was used. Uh, And of course, turf harvesting then was all manually done. So, yeah. so it was it, it was a no brainer really. We were paying good rent. It was a steady income for landowners, farmers, and uh, they didn't just roll that sort of diversification out to turf growers specifically. They did also target single crop specialists like your carrot growers and your your leek and your salad people. As far as InTurf is concerned, it it was started by your dad. Um, How did it all start then, Stephen? It's it's a fairly lengthy history. I won't go into the detail, uh, particularly before uh, he started in the turf production business, but he he was the managing director of 
uh, the only other turf, uh, cult- the professional t- uh, cultivated turf business at the time. My father wanted a business for his two sons. I have an identical twin brother. And uh, he and I now own and, and run in turf and have done for, for nearly 30 years. And, and father wanted something for the family and could see that there was a really bright future in cultivated turf in, in the UK and possibly in Europe, but could see there was a big gap in the sports turf world. And that's what he targeted to great success, actually. Uh, so it all started probably in the early 80s with his thought process. And then he jumped ship and, and, and made that sort of independent leap of faith in about 1984 uh, and um, created Interf with, with two or three other shareholders who, who, were, who were paid out within two or three years of, uh, of helping him set up. How important is location then, Stephen, to where you grow grass? I think most of the growers appear to be in the Yorkshire, Wold, Lincolnshire yeah. area. Is that the prime area? Or what other areas are successful? Well, it, it is. You're quite right, Chris. It is the prime growing area. So the Vale of York, uh, let's take a, um, a, a fairly wide area there. Um, there's a there's a, a few hundred thousand acres here uh, where I'm sat today speaking to you from. And turf production here in the Vale of York is ideal because it's flat. It's there's a lot of good fertile sandy land, stone free, of course, plenty of good drainage, lots of rivers around here. And irrigation is another vital component of growing turf. So plenty of boreholes as well, you see. There's, there's quite a lot of sandstone under the Vale of York. The other areas uh, are, are very few and far between. We actually do grow in, in an area of Lincolnshire, just north of Grantham, which has a pocket of, of good sandy loam soils with very similar topography to, to that of the Vale of York. Uh, and there's other areas in North Lincolnshire. Other parts of the country do grow turf, and do grow very good turf. However, because you get a, a differing soil type over the country, you tend to get more stone in other areas, or you, you tend to get a heavier land, maybe clay-based or silt, uh, or even lots of rolling hills, which indeed is lovely to look at, but not great to, to harvest turf from. So consequently, what you do get is very invariable, uh, almost non-consistent, turf grass grown uh, and sometimes it can have its benefits so if we have a drought like we did in 2018 here and in Lincolnshire we were applying it with with lots of water to to keep it alive other parts of the country perhaps in Kent or or Lancashire uh, indeed kept hold of the moisture on some of those heavier soils so there are some benefits but actually uh, what we'd prefer to do in, in the turf industry, certainly at InTurf, is we like to be in control of nature. Uh, so if we can get water off the field quickly with drainage, we've ticked that box. And, and likewise, if we can get water onto our turf, if we have a drought, which we can here, we've got very good infrastructure for that, uh, then, then we'd rather be in control. Do you actually own any of the, the, the fields that you grow or, or do you tend to rent them or is it a mix? Personally, no. We have owned land in the past. 
but it didn't stack up uh, to um, commercially for us to pursue that line. Uh, so we sold the last 103 acres we had about 15 years ago. Okay. And we've now got 2,500 roughly acres uh, of rented land. And a lot of it is is in rotation <laughs> with the uh, other farmers like the carrot growers and, and the leaf growers oh, that I mentioned earlier, which adds quite a nice bit of nutrient, different nutrient uh, into the soil. So it helps it helps each other out, and and grass turf production is is very good for the control of some weeds that that these other growers don't like, and and vice versa. Mm. I suppose the game changer, Stephen, was the availability of high capacity mechanization for uh, harvesting uh, turf, um, which I think, um, from what I can see from some of the, the, the two or three major manufacturers, came around about the, the millennium time, so around about 2000. Um, would that be true? And uh, up to that stage, obviously, it was fairly small scale harvesting equipment, was it? Yeah, I mean, most turf. Uh equipment evolved from agricultural machinery and designs of of some kind Uh, i mean even the conveyors on today's turf harvesters are taken from other vegetable related equipment and machinery automation and mechanization have been the biggest and most dramatic transformation we've we've seen in the turf industry and indeed in the wider agricultural industry but essentially it hasn't changed much at all um, you mentioned uh, the sort of early noughties. Well, obviously, the big roll system and instant lay and play turf tiles shaped the sports turf world uh, and work that we were connected with. And, and both of those systems were introduced to the turf industry, to the sports turf industry as well, by ourselves. Mm. Uh, but this, this happened a bit earlier than, than the early noughties. The, the big roll system we introduced into the UK was late 80s early 90s okay. and uh, in ready in readiness really for the for the golf boom that happened in the 90s what's the equation then between labor availability and the high capacity machines obviously they are uh, their production output is much greater of course it's considerable um, and in terms of labor do you are you able to control the amount of labor needed for it yeah i mean it's helped immensely we're selling around 4 million square metres of turf now annually. Back in the 80s and 90s, it was three quarters of a million. So we've had exponential growth, particularly in the last decade. And without the mechanisation and the auto-stack harvesters that we now import from America, we wouldn't be able to do it. We'd struggle to get the guys to manually handle turf and sometimes each square meter of turf, particularly in the wintertime, can be up to 20 kilos. Yeah. So getting getting guys to do that sort of five, six, seven thousand times a day is is difficult. Um, but that's where my brother and I started. Yeah. We started harvesting turf manually and I really enjoyed it. But it's not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, and I mean, we do struggle getting qualified staff, um, but we try very hard. Uh, to recruit properly and then hold on to our staff. You know, if you've got the right values set out in the business and, and you pay well and, and treat your staff with respect, uh, we'd like to think that we can keep hold of them. And, and indeed we have. I mean, the average age 
of, of a staff member at Interf is about 55. And I would say 75% of those guys have worked for us for 20 years plus. Can you just take me through brief, briefly the um, turf har- harvesting cycle in the year? I mean, w- when do you start uh, with the seed bed? Um, yeah. And to, to, to right through to production and so on. And, and I think you said it is often used as a break crop, is it, between uh, other crops? Yes, uh, not all the time. Uh, it's used uh, in rotation with other crops, um, sometimes classified as a, as a break crop. And um, so what happens, generally speaking, is in March time, uh, we've had quite a bit of fallow land. So that's land with nothing on it all winter, which we're renting from the landlord, unless it's in rotation, of course. And we start with with the, with the plough, uh, if it's dry enough, and that fallow land gets ploughed and pressed. And then we go about working it down to a fine tilth. Uh, and so the fields are, are level and ready to, to be seed drilled uh, with uh, wide area seed drills. Uh, it's all very precision done these days with GPS and guidance. You know, the tractors drive themselves now in the field. Uh, so that's quite different to when I used to drive them. <laughs> you have to keep your eye on a little stick at the end of the field, you know. Yes. So it's, it's, so it's very precision. Uh, and that drilling really, the drilling of the grass seed doesn't finish until probably October time. No. And we try and keep it up behind the harvesters as, as, as much as we can. So we... So turf harvesting is is all year round. Yes. So, we, so we pretty much harvest a roll of turf or a few thousand rolls of turf every day of the year, except Christmas, Boxing Day, Easter Sunday, and the odd Saturday. But most other days, it's it's almost a three hundred and forty five, three hundred and fifty day a year operation to harvest yeah. turf. If people want yeah. turf, we'll sell them it. Yeah, and uh, once you uh, you've cut, uh, do you immediately start the the seedbed production immediately after you've cut from uh, cut the turf? Yes, yes, we do. Only if it's within the um, period March to October, uh, okay. that's a good drilling time, uh, and only if uh, we we need the turf for the following year. Yeah, um, but 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 essentially, yes, that's what we're doing at the moment. We we've grown year on year uh, for the last decade. Uh, so our sales have increased every year uh, since the early um, the early 2012, something like that. And um, we make sure that we're, we're we're well behind the harvester with the drill because if if we're if we're not careful, we don't keep up with the demand. You see, and that seed, and that preparation time, and then the maintenance that it takes for the following 12 or so months is is a vital time to get it right in our plans to make sure that we have turf ready for our national distributors, customers, and, and, and the big sheds that we supply. And I presume that your land where you, you are growing um, is not completely stone-free, but it's, it's, it's relatively stone-free compared with, I mean, I'm in Wiltshire um, on the chalk, and in my garden, you know, it's, it's hard work to try and turn over anything. So um, stone clearance, anything of a problem, but presumably it's an operation that you have to do? No, actually. Uh There's a lot of turf growers that use stone burying equipment. That that is true. 
and and you would need to do that because what what happens if you get little stones little stones are bit are worse than bigger stones because little stones in turf particularly if they're in the top sort of 20 30 mil when you roll that turf up and then unroll it at the other end the the stones tend to fall out on the sward which is the green bit of, of the turf and people don't like that because if, especially if it's a golf course they then have to go and clear the stones off but we don't have a problem with stones that there, there might be less than 0.25% of our land will have a, a flint or a stone problem. And uh, we make sure that we don't take land on that, that is stony. But we're lucky. We're lucky with the choice of land. And it was going yeah. back to what I said at the beginning of, of the podcast, that the land that we choose around the Vale of York and in sort of North Lincolnshire, uh, we're lucky that it's it's stone free. Indeed. Uh, you, you mentioned seed um, sowing. Um, how have the seed um, specifications changed? Have they changed much over your time in, in the business, um, maybe because of climate change and, and different requirements? Not so much, I don't think. Grass has become very commercial, like turf has over the last two decades, but hasn't really changed much except for better breeding programs and more investment in trial work. I think perennial ryegrass has seen the biggest development in breeding technology. And markedly, it has become a very versatile grass species as well. So it's finer in leaf. It has a higher shoot density. It's more disease and shade tolerant and deeper rooting. And so those breeding programs have definitely been in play, but essentially it's it's very similar, the, the grass breeding programs. There has been more money uh, ploughed into grass breeding because grass seed, turf growing and landscaping has become a much bigger entity over the last two decades as well. So we're doing more landscaping. And greening landscapes is absolutely the right thing to do for the environment. It's a nice environment to to, to be in. Well, we in the UK, we we tend to rather proudly uh, think of ourselves as the home of fine turf. Does our turf have an export potential? Do you ex- are you able to export uh, to any, particularly into Europe? I guess otherwise, uh... yes. The answer is. Well, it used to be yes. Unfortunately, it isn't anymore. Uh, we're unable to export turf into Europe or outside of the, the UK, and that would include Southern Ireland as well since Brexit. And uh, the European Union have made it difficult for natural turf growers, but also other plant growers and other living things to be exported. So we need now what's called a a plant passport, uh, which we have to provide for some of the big sheds we supply turf to, actually. And that was ahead of the um, uh, the, the final day we actually left Brexit, which wasn't that long ago. Hmm. But since the full withdrawal, if you like, we haven't been able to supply turf abroad. But we did supply quite a bit of turf into Europe before that to golf courses, national stadiums. Uh, for instance, we re-turfed Parkin Stadium with uh, with our fibre turf product twice, uh, 
uh, very successfully. We've sent turf to Monaco and Belgium and France. And in the early 90s, we we had shares in a in a, a French turf grower just north of Paris, uh, who helped us re-turf the Parc de France in conjunction with Wembley National Stadium Limited. During the the, the cycle, the annual cycle, what what do you make? What keeps you awake at night in terms of uh, your your operation at uh, in turf? Is it is it the weather? Is it labour? Is it disease? What what is it, uh, Stephen? It's nothing related to turf, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm not going anywhere with this one. Okay? <laughs> uh, no, it's not related to turf, really. I mean, turf does does uh, d- does promote a bit of anxiety, I have to say. With well, like you've just said, with a bit of disease at the at the sort of times of the year when you would expect it, uh, or the odd flash flood, or or the or a long term drought. Yes, uh, but we can deal with all those issues. What you can't deal with is making sure that your workforce are happy. Uh, and when we try very hard to, to ensure that that happens, um, I'm not just happy, safe. The workforce has, has to be safe. And um, it's, it's our responsibility to make sure that happens. So in answer to your question, the thing that keeps me awake is when I'm not at work and I know that our guys are, doing a dangerous job because agriculture is the most dangerous job in the UK at the moment. Uh, that keeps me awake, knowing that an accident can happen at any time. Stephen, looking at your website, um, and you mentioned uh, that you were being very active in the sports turf market, and it now it seems that you are maybe – um, amending the profile of the company. You're becoming a, a one-stop shop, if you like, for all things turf. Um, is this Was this a, a conscious decision? Is it because maybe that sports turf itself is, is changing because of hybrid technology yeah. and so on? Yes, it is. You're right. Um, I mean, Interf has adorned many a prestigious sporting venue in the UK and Europe, as we've said over the years, in particular during the 90s and noughties when, when golf was booming and pitches were, were failing in the winter. Uh, Interf's pioneering custom-grown turf for various applications saw an emergence of professionalism in the, in the industry. And the likes of Lords and Edgebaston, Outfields, Wembley Stadium, Chelsea and Manchester United Football Clubs, where, where the fibre turf system was, was used, uh, a very specialist product that, that we developed. And of course, the other, um, the, the other, some of the other systems that, that we used back in the day uh, was the non-fixed pallet system, the removable system for the Millennium Stadium. But it was all very stressful. So moving away from growing specialist sports turf to now producing more than 95% of landscaping turf was a distinct choice we made about 10 years ago. It's much less risky. We're not watching every ball bounce during live games. (laughs) (sighs) Turf that's just been installed, waiting with bated breath to see if it holds up. Mm. Now we can sit back, relax, and enjoy a sports match properly, like I did at Lord's last Thursday. Yep. 
And we also have a better spread of customers from homeowners to big sheds and everything in between. And with a distinct shortage of, of housing in the UK and house builders not keeping pace with the deficit, it's hard to see where landscaping turf will not be required, certainly for the foreseeable future. And, and, and as I've said, the pitch makeover, the 1.2 metre wide big roll and custom grown turf were all systems pioneered by Interf. Um, but with the advent of very good quality hybrid pitches these days and their success, they have a very firm foothold in the sports turf world. However, saying that, golf still remains a good source of business for Interf. And I can see this having a greater potential over the coming years, in, it, it, especially if golf continues to grow, as numbers would suggest that they are. Indeed. Um, I see on your website, you, you were quoted as, as, as talking about the ubiquitous carpet manufacturers, e.g. E those that uh, sell and service and, and lay down artificial grass, plastic grass. Um, have you got any thoughts on the emergence and, and whether or not that market is where it's going? Yeah, well, I think it is going towards hybrid. And uh, and I have to say hybrid is is an exceptional product for those applications. But I think if we're talking artificial versus natural uh, in the turf world per se, then I think anyone who has a conscience will attest that there is no argument here. Natural turf wins. And, and putting the environment first must be our raison d'etre and our motivation for looking after this planet that we live on. And plastic turf, or indeed plastic netting within turf, is, is detrimental to our fauna and our atmosphere. When there is a suitable alternative to using plastic turf, why would anybody do any different? Uh, it can't be recycled very well and mismanaged. Recycling leads to plastic being leaked into drains and then ends up out in our oceans, which is damaging to wildlife and, and, and humankind. And plastic turf, after a couple of years, fades and starts to look tatty. There's no biodegradable benefits either, and it doesn't regrow, uh, mopping up lots of carbon dioxide like natural turf does throughout the year, helping to act as a carbon sequester through photosynthesis. Um, having said that, I think there's a real place for hybrid pitches, which are basically, I think, 50% synthetic grass, 50% natural, because they're not being, that they're being used for a purpose. Uh, and it's giving people pleasure going watching these games without having the ref having to move scrums because turf's been coming up or, you know, the, the goalkeeper's getting stuck in the mud in the goal mouth, which we haven't seen for a while now. The, 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 the level of quality now that we see with these pitches and, and Wembley Stadium and Twickenham Stadium both have Deso, I think, uh, which is a hybrid system, are fantastic. Uh, and when you think back when Interf pioneered these pitch makeovers and we were, we were corrowing the fields off, only, only having a week to do so and, and putting the new 40 mil thick 1.2 metre wide big roll turf back down and then worried about what might happen to it. And, and actually, sometimes it would get redone again uh, because 
is not growing in the winter and, and they're playing lots of games. I think there's a there's a real place for it, but um, I can't see there there being much of a place for purely plastic, synthetic grass turf in in this country or, or the world. I have to say. Yeah. Um, are you a, <clears throat> presumably you are because you said earlier on that your sales have been growing year on year. Um, are you able to to, to judge? growing demand from either the landscape sector or indeed through your national account retailers. Um, is that consumer demand still as strong, as strong for natural grass? Uh, and they're not being suckered into um, putting, I'm talking about homeowners now, putting down plastic strip on, on their patio in, instead of natural grass? Yeah, well, we've definitely seen an increase in sales. Um, the numbers don't lie and they're exponential. They really are. Um, but we have tried very hard to position ourselves as, as market leaders in the industry and to produce the most consistent quality turf we can without any artificial netting in it. And there's a lot of turf out there at the moment with plastic net in it, uh, which uh, is, 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 is making it very easy for, for some growers to produce a very quick crop. Uh, and I think a lot of the influence that we've had in the industry and the reason that we are growing is because people want a natural product and uh, there are applications for uh, hard landscaping even maybe plastic turf but that would be in situations where natural turf doesn't survive so i'm talking shaded situations or very high trafficked areas where i think there is an application for those other hard landscaping items and materials. But I think the housing market is the, is the biggest factor. We've, we've got an immense shortage of housing in the UK and uh, talking to some house builders like I have over the last few months, uh, guys that are, are in charge of buying land for, for these big house builders, uh, they, they are saying that there's another 10 to 15 years uh, before they make up the deficit. Indeed. So I think that if you're producing a good, consistent product that's environmentally responsible, I, I think it's a win-win. And, and did um, did COVID um, push through uh, demand? Because um, obviously when everybody was locked up in their houses and people who were living in, in urban areas without a garden suddenly found that they were really drawn to moving to somewhere where they could the kids could play outside on often on natural grass rather than anything else. Did, did you see any spike um, during that time? We did. Big spike. Yeah. Really? So, so uh, we probably had two of our best years this last two years, which you'd call the COVID years. It wasn't just down to homeowners buying turf. It was our, na- our national distributorship buying more, landscapers buying more, um, golf courses and sports clubs didn't too much because obviously people were, were locked down, weren't they? So they weren't able to, to, to play much. And I know a lot of golf clubs closed during that time, sadly. But the homeowner, having money in their pocket, which we, we know, we read, if you believe what you read, uh, there's trillions of pounds um, locked up in UK savings accounts. And of course, the furlough system helped, the furlough scheme helped support those people that were 
not doing much. And of course, they had to occupy their minds with other things. And what do you turn to if you've got a garden or a, or a lawn or, or indeed you just have a garden that needs a lawn? Hey, presto, uh, they phone natural turf supplier. And we did a lot of overnight deliveries, lots and lots and hundreds, thousands by complete contrast. And we noted it in the figures this spring. We did 5% of overnight deliveries to the homeowner, the retail public this spring compared to spring 21 and spring 2020. Yeah. Just tell me about the timeliness and the actual operation of, of servicing the uh, the national retail a- a- accounts, because if you walk into a home base or other stores are available, of course, or whatever, yeah. um, y- you often see some rolls of turf. But but that turf really prompts the sale generally for a specific home delivery rather than just being an odd piece of turf somebody might want to buy. And then how do you actually support the retailer, which who let's face it, they're not experts in your field. So, um, no. and it is a, it, it does need care, natural turf and in the laying and the upkeep. So, so what sort of support do you give those national accounts? Well, the, when it starts, I mean, we've been supplying home base for 15 years. We supply B&M and the range as well. And um, it starts with basically making sure that you supply them with the best quality product in the first place. And not to supply the turf when conditions are as such where it could be detrimental to that that plant health. So, for instance, a very hot week. We're just coming into a hot week now. Uh, It's the middle of June. Uh, We see the forecasts showing hot, humid weather. We will now be saying to those customers and indeed all our other customers that we supply turf to, there's a health warning this week. Turf, if, if it's going to be used, needs to be used immediately and watered straight away because otherwise there's going to be problems. So all of our customers, including the, the sheds, uh, have vast knowledge of, of how we deal with it. And we try to keep control of that because you get a very big turnaround of staff at these places. So unless you keep control, uh, it can just spiral out of control. We make sure that the turf is cut fresh, field fresh, collected within an hour of being harvested, loaded and shipped to the hub or direct to to site. We encourage overnight deliveries direct to the customer to miss out the the middleman. Um, That's not to say that, that, that it can't be ordered from one of those sheds because we just look after their home deliveries. But that's the way to do it. Manage the situation properly. And to be quite honest with you, we hardly get any issues of, of, uh, of any nature. Our website has a wealth of information about maintenance and uh, seasonal care tips. Uh, and we're a very telephonic company. We encourage people to call us. If you've got a problem, here's the phone number, call us and we'll deal with it. And all our staff are qualified to deal with an issue. And we have a no quibble policy as well. So if somebody's completely unhappy with the product, we 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 send another pallet and, and collect the, um, the the failed one. Are the amount of, of turf grass growers um, increasing this in this country? Uh, um, and indeed, uh, I know that you've got a, a trade association, the Turf yes. Grass Growers Association. Um, what is its role? What benefits do you get out of membership? And and also, uh, what is its 
biggest issues that it has to face up to, do you think? Well, the, the Turf Grass Growers Association uh, was established by my father, actually, in 1995, with the help from one, maybe two other growers, in order to advance the professionalism and accountability of the turf grown community by setting standards to work from and encouraging interaction between members. Uh, there are now 50 members, I think, including affiliates. I think there's that's probably a 50-50 split though. Uh, there used to be more grower members a few years ago. So that would be an indication that turf growing has reduced or, or uh, become more sort of national should we say? Is there consolidation going on? Obviously, I think there's school. definitely consolidation going on, Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah I do. I've got no proof on that. No, uh, we do a market survey at the TG every year, but but the benefits are, are, are wide ranging and varied. Um, I mean, there are there are there are some key points uh, that the, the TG uh, have, have have made some very good uh, accolades over the years from successful legal rulings on turf production being an agricultural crop uh, where the TGA supported members in their work with local planning authorities to get turf production recognised as a farmed crop and not an amenity grass. Uh, The TGA has undertaken research with Cranfield University on the impact of turf production on soil erosion and depletion in the fields. It supported a project looking at the amount of soil removed from fields during production and compared it to other crops. We've established an annual market survey that helps growers and affiliates evaluate the mood of the production base. And the annual survey is now valued by growers, members and affiliates as a snapshot of how the industry is performing. Um, We also run an industry website which provides resources to growers and provides news and event information related to the UK turf industry. The website not only provides information for members, it is also uh, has a, um, a knowledge base which can be accessed to help customers with related turf issues. Uh, we've also, this is an important point, we've also worked with water industry bodies, water companies and other related trade bodies on the revision of the water bill back in 2007 and provide a good practice guide for them that was environmentally responsible, uh, giving turf a a 28-day exemption uh, for temporary use bans. Yeah, so there's a number of other aspects to the turf. Yeah. and currently, um, one of the biggest issues is the availability of red diesel for agricultural production and others. Uh, do, do you fall under the agricultural schemes? We do. Yeah. Yes, yes, we we are. Turf growing is an agricultural crop. Uh, in in fact, I have a meeting tomorrow with uh, the CEO of the TGA uh, and somebody from um, the industry uh, about this very subject. Well, look, Steve. Many, many thanks. I've really enjoyed this uh, this trawl through the the the, the turf industry, which um, uh, I'm not oh totally au fait with. But you've given me a very good lo- lowdown. Turf lawns, gardens, in some areas, are 
becoming weaponized a little bit in terms of uh, some some commentators uh, witness uh, some extinction rebellion actually digging up lawns at a college a couple of years ago, which seemed to me total madness um, hmm. and and completely in informed. But um, I guess yeah. they uh, are still a bit of a wild cannon. But look, thank you very much indeed. And uh, do, do you think that the industry, uh, the natural grass industry, uh, still has an ongoing job to sell the benefits of natural grass, of which we we all are aware, but does the general public? Oh, 100%. You're asking the right person. Natural turf cools the environment. I mean, grass never feels hot to the touch, unlike hard surfaces and plastics. It reduces water runoff and helps to filter water into aquifers, which is vital for our water supplies. And it makes us feel good. Turf has, a, has real health benefits, like calming the mind and promoting endorphins, especially when one walks on it or, or when we're, we're just surrounded by it in parks, etc. Yeah. But a small fact, and one tree can sequester 25 kilograms of carbon in a year. That's just one tree. But estimates suggest that grassland has up to 30% of the world's carbon locked up in its soils. So I think that it, it, it's certainly good for the environment, it's good for the mind, uh, body and soul, and it's good for UK GDP. Indeed. And of course, one other thing, uh, it is uh, regularly voted as uh, the nation's favourite smell. Yes. Um, cutting grass, uh, particularly after a shower. Uh, Quintessentially British. Yeah. Stephen, many, many thanks. I've really enjoyed that. And um, might I wish you all the best for the rest of your uh, turf harvesting business for this year and, and many years after. Uh, yes, and and, you, and uh, also regards to, to, to Alex as well. Yes. And um, good luck with everything. No, you take care of yourself, Chris. And, and I do appreciate the, this opportunity. It's been equally great talking to you and seeing you again. Thank you. Thank you very much. As Stephen said, Nothing beats the look, the feel, the durability and the aesthetic pleasure we get from an expanse of natural grass. In urban areas, the parks, sports grounds and open spaces are often referred to as the green lung of the city. And the way we care for grass is changing in this environmentally aware age. Petrol-powered mowers are rapidly being replaced with electric and battery models and we are rightly encouraged to include areas of wildflowers to complement natural grass lawns. During the pandemic and to plagiarise an advert for popular confectionery, many families rediscovered their outside living areas as an ideal place to work, rest and play. So thank you for joining me. I'm Chris Biddle and this is Inside AgriTurf.